Well, hello and welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I just found a random bit of plastic on the floor and I cannot work out where that's come from. Uh, 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 describe it to me, PJ. It's a little bit of clear. Do you know what? It was. Uh, it's probably <laughs> from a record I unwrapped that came in the post earlier. So there we go. Uh, gr- 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 wait, like a, a a CD or an actual vinyl? No, 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 an actual vinyl. Oh, God, PJ, PJ, a man of a man of refined tastes. It would appear. I would say most of my collection is video game soundtracks, but sure. <laughs> I mean, when I met you, I was kind of aware of your crippling vinyl addiction. <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, glimpsing across the aisle at Comic-Con and catching you kind of like covertly munching on a, on a mini-disc. Um, <laughs> but... Munching on a mini-disc? <laughs> oh. Do you have mini-discs? Well, vaguely. I never really used them myself. Well, they were They were like... It looked like you had a little vinyl inside a tape. As I yeah, it was like yeah, it was it was like this weird hybrid yeah. of the two. The only the only reason I know about them is I briefly worked in I say worked, didn't get paid, a community radio back when I was a gangly teenager. Hey. And uh hey Hey. I did community radio. I presented oh. the nineteen eighties retro show on a community <laughs> radio station for about five years from the age of 20. So when it ran from, so the show ran from 1990 to 95. Hey now. <laughs> I, no, I'm sorry, PJ, that's, that's, that's cruel of me. But look, another thing, another thing we have in common. It's, Isn't it good that we do a podcast together? It's, it's why I feel most comfortable presenting in the audio format. That is true, yes. I mean, God, I mean, you'd think if... Um, the glory days of radio had uh, endured. Yeah, I could maybe imagine like a a late night JLA themed podcast, maybe between the hours of like three and four. For some reason, though, whenever anyone mentions a, a late night radio show, I just imagine the presenters reclining in their chairs, smoking big cigars while they do the presenting. And I can't picture us doing that. Uh, certainly not at the moment, because I mean, frankly, given for the entire duration of that we've been recording like uh, since uh, April this year uh we've not been of course we've never been in the same room and we've never had the camera on no i haven't seen your face other than on the occasional photo on on instagram or facebook this has the makings of a very good sci-fi film this will be like the twist at the end is that uh you were never really here and it was like some kind of ai oh my god am i a robot <laughs> I could tell you, PJ, but your programming would not allow you to hear it. Well, great. Now I'm going to have this paranoia <laughs> for the rest of the day. Thanks, John. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, uh, PJ, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've outlived mini-discs. Uh, we've outlived community radio. Uh, JLA, however, will not die because we will not let it. <laughs> We're, here. We're here pumping electricity into its body. Damn right. Uh, where where were we? What's happening in the world of JLA? Well, Lex Luthor has formed an injustice gang. Oh no! Uh, it's composed of you know many enemies of the individual league members, and they're going after the league 
corporate takeover style because Luther thinks they won't be prepared for that. But wouldn't you know it, the league has a billionaire tycoon on the team as well. It's only Bruce flipping Wayne. Yes. Um, oh, and also the new gods have turned up. Yeah, Metron's arrived on the JLA Watchtower and said, look, you've got to go do something. I mean, he used a say- lot more words than that, but that's basically what he did. If I, I just want to draw attention to uh, Metron, one of um, Jack Kirby's new gogs. Uh, if you've no idea what we're talking about, this really isn't the podcast for you. <laughs> um, I just want to give a little shout out to his little white gloves. Yes, they are. Lovely. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's a utilitarian costume. It's a blue onesie, funky little pattern on his chest. No capes, no belts, no boots, but he did put on. Two little kind of Mickey Mouse white gloves, which I which I which I enjoy. I think that is quite charming. You know the the costume that never made sense to me having white boots and white gloves is the Punisher. Why would that dude have white gloves and white boots? He's gonna get blood all over them. Unless he always carries replacements. No. No, no, no. That would be ridiculous. This is why I appreciated it when Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon put him in black boots and gloves, and that made sense. I mean, there's always a very fine line between the Punisher actually having a costume and just wearing a, a gnarly t-shirt. Yes, yes, it makes him uh, a very easy Halloween costume if you want to go as a Marvel character. And of course, providing he's very, providing he's near a gun. He that's how his super powers kind of yeah. generate. Yeah. You know, he, he just has to be touching a bullet, and then he's he's the Punisher. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Ennis and Dylan put him in black boots and gloves, and then later on, whenever someone else will put him back in the white ones, I'd be all like, "No, that's wrong. Don't do that." When when did they do? When did they start doing that thing where it was less that he had a skull on his chest and more that. You know, like they did that thing where his belt kind of became like the teeth. That I think the first person to do that was no, actually, that was um, John Romita's original design. I think that was a part of it. But then I think it just de- was it really? I think it just depends which artist draws him as to what version of the skull and the costume you're going to get. Really, I don't think there's. It's one of those things where I don't necessarily think there's much editorial consistency as long as he's mostly dressed in black with a big skull on him. They don't really care what you put him in. I don't think. Can I, can I make a little confession? Yeah. Punisher bores me. <laughs> I get that. I think it depends. I think there's been some very good stories done with him. It depends on what team you've got on the book. Uh, it, it There's been some teams on it where it's just like, yeah, this is the same shit again and I'm tired of it. I've heard the Garth Ennis run is very good. It is. And I, I haven't read that. Uh, but it's just like whenever he pops up as an antagonist in like... Spider-Man or Daredevil or something. I'm always just like, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> like, he gets so much... It's like, you know, we're meant to, he's meant to be the bad guy because he kills, but we also kind of love him. Oh, what's he like, you know, killing people? I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not against killing, you know. Oh, God, that'll be, that'll be the time. Really? You're not... Wait, what? <laughs> Hang on, who are you, who are you killing? <laughs> no. No, I don't know. I just, like... It's funny, isn't it? Because Captain America has flat out killed a ton of people yeah. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, I mean, obviously in war, he's just running around with a gun. But like, 
the movies somehow gloss over the fact that like there's a lot of killing (laughs) and yet you somehow kind of you kind of forgive it in a weird way uh, because it's not like i don't know isn't this weird it's like when when batman kills like 30 people in batman v superman that seems jarring and weird but like when iron man blasts a guy in the chest probably killing him that doesn't seem weird it's, is that weird? I think it's because of the way it's done, isn't it? In Batman v Superman, it's Zack Snyder focusing on all the bones breaking and, and really going in for the brutality of it and glorifying Batman killing these people because he doesn't understand Batman. Whereas in the MCU, it's, yeah, you'll see Iron Man fire at a dude, but it won't linger on it. You won't really see the aftermath or exactly what happens to this dude. It's just, yay, Iron Man's won. Let's focus on Iron Man. He's leaving now. He's happy. That's nice. Yeah. Because it was pretty much a thing for a very long time. Like I know I know some characters had an outright like vow of, you know, not killing. I mean, obviously, you know, Batman springs immediately to mind. Mm. But I, I'm fairly certain, like, pretty much across the board, superheroes weren't really killing people, were they, for, like, the longest time? Or am I making that up? I feel like Spider-Man certainly didn't just go and kill people. No. Um, there was a whole story, Spider-Man versus Wolverine, in the late 80s, where Spider-Man accidentally kills someone at the end, and it has a huge effect on him psychologically. He's he's damaged by it, and it's, yeah. it still gets brought up. Or go, It got brought up in a story, like, 2010, I think, still. So who do we... Yeah. Maybe this is just, like... I don't know, I, I, think, I think I may have, like, kind of picked at something bigger than this potential episode but just i was just thinking to myself like the changing morality of comics and what we now kind of take as written from our our kind of heroes i suppose like i guess we're i guess generally we're a lot more comfortable now with a hero kind of killing people as long as it's not kind of like as you say kind of like glorified I suppose. Yeah, I think it's an element of the time we live in, isn't it? People in general are worse. And, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you see, back in my day, <laughs> back in our day, nothing bad ever happened. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's so weird, isn't it? Because, like, you know, Superman can blow up a big robot or something and we can you know, not think anything of it. Or, you you know, could punch a spaceship out of the sky and you never really think about the 300 pilots and their, yeah. you know, kind of families back home. Actually, come to think of it, if it had 300 pilots, it was probably going to crash anyway. Um, <laughs> so like too many cooks joystick. Thing. Too many pilots yeah. crash the spaceship. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, this is... We've got a... Sorry, PJ. This is like the old man kind of element just kind of like uh, taking taking me over. We need to be... Young and, and hip and happening again. I don't know how to do that. How about we start by talking about a 20-year-old comic? <laughs> like the young, <laughs> cool kids do. Uh, wait, no, we established this. It's 20, 23 years old. Now, what was a 23-year-old comic when this came out then? What was this, 98? Uh, this was November 97. Okay, so we're talking about a comic that came out in 1974... Would have been twenty three years old. Was that? That's around probably. Is that around the time of? Oh my god! 
That's even before that giant size X Men. That was seventy five. So well, that's that's where my mind went as well. Like uh, Claremont and Byrne. Yeah, and even before that, good lord. And we're still talking about John Byrne. Maybe it's like Spider Man Clone Saga, the original Clone Saga. I think might have been around then. Oh, you mean the 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 original Jackal? Yeah, kind of. Oh, interesting. Not the one. Yeah, it's intriguing. Yeah, not the nineties one in... that lasted for like nine years. No, <laughs> the one that was just... that lasted for like my entire puberty. <laughs> just just the one that was like eight issues. Best thing to come out of the nineties Clone Saga, though, Ben Riley's costume. No, we're not going there again. No, John, you're wrong. Oh, but PJ, no. PJ, he's the electric blue Superman of Spider-Man. He's not. Oh. Scarlet Spider? Yes, I'll accept. Okay, okay, thank you, yes. Uh, so PJ, as we as we pull back the hood of our light blue spider-themed hoodie, um, we are on Rock of Ages part three, possibly part two, depending on how whether or not we're counting the prologue or not. I think it's by this point, I think DC have settled on it being part three. I'm pretty <laughs> sure the cover and the story itself say part three. And let's start with that cover. It's it's a fun one. I really like this cover. It's a very striking image. And yeah, it is um, uh, Green Lantern, Aquaman and Flash uh, surrounded by absolutely gigantic feet yep. and legs. Yep, that's it. Just these these weird, like there's a gold metal plated pair of feet, a pair of white pirate boots, some like ancient Greek sandals, one in a pair of slippers. But that's all you see, <laughs> just these huge feet surrounding a very surprised looking flashing green lantern and a slightly grumpy looking Aquaman. I think this is a sign of the series kind of um, like kind of knowing its place now. Like it's kind of... It was this bold new era. The JLA has come. It's kind of it's returned. The Magnificent Seven. It's shocking people. Oh, this is great. This is what comics should be. And you know, you have these kind of big covers, which were all kind of like the main characters, like Superman, Superman, Superman. And then this one is, I think it's kind of nice that they 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 feel confident enough now mm. to have some of the I don't want to say the lesser characters, but you know, you know, kind of like some of like the less marketable ones. Well, it's yeah, because they're not in the Trinity. There you go. It's the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. That's the Trinity. And then you get second tier Big Seven, which is Flash and Green Lantern. And then third tier Big Seven, which is Aquaman and Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Yeah. Poor. Yeah. Poor John. <laughs> Poor John. Um, but no, and, it, and I, I guess we will uh, we'll cover it over the coming issues. But Aquaman in general hasn't had a massive amount to do so far he had a fun fight with an angel he did but uh, and obviously the first arc when he uh i can't remember which member of the hyper clan he was fighting now uh that one you know oh, which well fluxus the shapeshifter there we go thank you yes him. it was a whale a whale who sat on him yeah that was and, fun but and zoom but other than that yeah no aquaman hasn't had a, a great deal of input yeah, and it's nice that he's getting pushed to the forefront a bit. Certainly, as as we've kind of mentioned, Kyle is in many ways the protagonist of the series? Question mark? Uh, yeah, well, it's sort of the new guy, the one 
he's the one we most I think see the the league through the eyes of. That's very much true in the opening of this issue, which is all through Kyle's eyes. Yes. Yes, actually, that's a that's a wonderful jumping on point. PJ. Literally, this first page is Kyle's point of view. It's five panels, and they are all what Kyle is seeing at that moment. Yeah, and I guess in panel one, it's got this kind of green shimmering haze across it, which I'm guessing is like Kyle stepping out of the teleport pod. Yeah, that's how it appears as he's uh, transporting up to the watchtower. From- and I've got to say, it's a fun take on... I guess a fairly conventional scene. Yeah. Like it didn't it didn't have to be done this way. Yeah. So Kyle's just come from where he was having coffee with Green Arrow before Green Arrow went off with Cersei. He talked to a stranger. And yeah, he's a bit worried, but he arrives on the watchtower effectively in the middle of cosmic stuff going down. Yeah, cosmic with a capital C. I imagine they have like alarms. That's for this the sort of thing. The beginning C, not the end one. That would look silly. <laughs> yeah, and a capital S, and a capital capital M, lowercase O's. No, wait, and an I. Cosmoc. That's what I was trying to say. Um, and I guess the weird thing is that Kyle uh, is kind of, as you say, arriving in the middle of this crisis. Doesn't really know what's going on. Everything's at action stations. But he's also giving a voiceover, which is weird, where he, he appears to be recapping these events to somebody in the future. Yes. Yeah, so he arrives and he's, he sort of says how he remembers this going down as well as Flash brings him up to speed. But Kyle is also saying, wait, what, we're going cosmic stuff, but we've got the Injustice gang. Has anyone checked with Superman that this is all good? And Wally's basically, yes, it's all fine. This is Metron. He's a new god. Just we're, we're doing what he says. Yeah, and Wally's basically, I don't say being a bit of a jerk, but Wally's basically downplaying Kyle's confusion and misunderstanding. Where he's like, look, okay, you know, deal with it. Weird stuff is going on. Uh, and Met- Metron is basically meddling with their machines. And he's upgrading their teleport pods to new Genesis levels of technology, basically. Uh, something which will be able to transport them across the universe, basically. Yeah, he calls them time-space doorways now. I mean, thanks for the free upgrade, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know? And then he gives them baby boxes, which aren't quite mother boxes, because they are infant, I guess. Which... You can tell that they're baby boxes because they are half a cube. Yes. Yeah, they're rectangular. <laughs> and I think we talked about this in the last episode, but this is Grant Morrison's ongoing um, <laughs> ongoing obsession with expanding the mother box family tree. <laughs> Where I think across his various stories, we've had obviously mother boxes, father boxes, baby boxes, boom boxes, and... <laughs> loot crates uh, no wait no um uh and ancestor box those i swear those ancestor box that does ring wrong. a bell but i cannot remember for the life of me where that comes in uh that came in in the lost issues of batman which he wrote to explain what happened between batman r.i.p and batman final crisis that's why i don't know that one then okay i'm probably <laughs> never going to cool oh, okay. I, I just forgot like you know a family member's name 
by recalling that. Like, uh, <laughs> pushed something really vital out of my brain. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but sorry, PJ, what's, what's, uh, what's, what's Metron rambling about? He's basically telling them... He, he's he's going to send them after the emanations of the stone, is what he's saying. So he's already told them about the Philosopher's Stone in the previous issue, or at least he's told Flash, Aquaman, and Aztec about it. And he's sending them after it to try and find it, because, as Kyle says, is this dark side stuff on top of... And yeah, on top of the Injustice gang, there's dark side stuff happening. Yeah, and I guess one thing I'd never really twigged or thought about up until revisiting this with you pj but i'd always wondered whether kyle had kyle encountered dark side or was he just aware of dark side but based on genesis yep. the weird spin-off he really kind of encountered him like last week yep i guess yeah he which, did. Ma- which, ma- which makes this a bit weird i suppose I, I don't know if he'd also encountered him in another book uh or not but yeah definitely Oh, definitely Genesis happened. I'm sorry, PJ. I didn't mean to uh, inflict that on you. Um, but yeah, so Kyle is still not entirely on the same page as this. Like He's like, what the hell? Like We've got to go on a quest to find the Philosopher's Stone. And he's trying to warn them that you know Green Arrow left with this creepy woman, <laughs> as he puts it. And Wally just goes, look, I don't want to hear about his love life. This is the JLA. And this is Save the Universe time, so... And then he's distracted by Metron effectively opening doorways to everywhere? Yeah, and... I mean, like, I, I was going to mention it in this issue anyway, but, like, Howard Porter, just just in general in this issue, seems to have hit, like, absolute perfection. Like, it, it, I don't think his art has ever looked better, better to me, to be honest. This issue has some absolutely stunning moments. There's one in a couple of pages of time I particularly want to get into. Uh, but yeah, this these portals here, that they're, they're, every single one is so different from the other ones. It's crazy the amount of detail he gets in these tiny little pictures that let you know sort of exactly what the place they lead to is about. It's It's really well done. It's very disorientating. Yeah. Like it, it looks kind of nightmarish and and uh, unreal. Uh, and yeah, like Wally's kind of like freaking out, like as if kind of like looking at it is kind of unsettling. Well, yeah, the, the first few panels are still from Kyle's point of view. So the top panel on this page is is Wally looking at past Kyle with a very surprised look on his face while Kyle's still trying to talk to him. And he's saying, basically challenging him to a race. I'll find it before you do. And then he turns around to look at what Wally's looking at that's caused that expression to see Metron and these portals, which Metron then says these are doorways in time space, the ultimate maze, the ultimate treasure. Find the Philosopher's Stone or Dark Side will. And then the next few panels were still Kyle's point of view, but his hands are thrown up in front of him as, as basically Green Lantern, Flash and Aquaman are thrown through these portals. Yeah, and you again seeing it from Kyle's perspective, you see, uh, you see Wally being like stretched out and distorted, like um, I don't know, like like Play-Doh basically, and uh, yeah, this kind of like screaming you can imagine, and he's again Kyle's voiceover, which is kind of like re- recounting this as if it were in the past. 
is basically saying like it feels like an alien abduction like i'm being abducted by the new gogs and i should say before i forget there was quite a nice little background detail in a previous panel where while kyle and wally were bickering you can see aquaman in the background kind of like wagging a finger at aztec which i kind of take to mean him telling him to stay home and look after the base while they go on the mission. Yeah, they need to have someone on the watchtower for when, as far as they're concerned, for when Superman and Jean get back from the Injustice Gang's satellite headquarters, which they currently don't know has exploded. No. And and it, it's interesting, like, having spent some time exploring Aztec's series with, with you, PJ, um, it also makes me a little sad that, you know, Aztec gets some gets a fun moment later on which you know i'm looking forward to but it i don't know it feels like he never quite got his moment in the sun really it's 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 i'm trying to figure out how to say this without spoiling it um aztec does get a lot of good moments coming up but not all this aztec if that may you know what i mean oh that's that yeah pj that is a very good point <laughs> I had yes, I'd forgotten about that. Uh mm, indeed. Hmm. Um but yeah, and I guess kind of as Kyle is telling this story to someone, we suddenly see who he's talking to, or a little bit of them. Um we cut to a new place, a new time, and you have Kyle looking pretty rough. Uh he he is uh covered in stubble literally every square inch of flesh is covered in, <laughs> covered in stubble he's looking unkempt disheveled and he's basically just saying like we were tricked like we were thrown across the universe and now something terrible is going to happen and you you just see the figure who he's talking to go stay calm you're safe here and he please continue your story and this figure is utterly white yeah like, utterly it's just a th- no detail. Black outline and then a white arm that ends with a hand that only seems to have two, maybe three fingers. Yeah, and I guess kind of like it's just one of those fun little things where you play around with comic book arcs. Um, yeah, he's not just coloured white. He is white, like the absolute absence of uh, of any ink on the page. It's quite a fun look. Yeah, and it's not even really clear where they are. There's some interesting looking architecture behind Kyle, but no indication as to where this might be at all it's it's tantalizing i like it (laughs) um but yeah so kyle continues his story and he's basically recounting everything that happened on his mission to find the philosopher's stone and we get this amazingly bizarre panel where kyle says he battled some guy who had a synthetic copy of the real Philosopher's Stone. And it's like this guy is holding this weird heart-shaped stone, which we see, we saw Luther have. And he's kind of like reshaping matter, I think. Yeah, so it's this is all we see of this battle, this one panel. And it's a very cool mid-action shot of Kyle sort of creating armoured troops that are firing at this guy who's cre- who's himself creating shields, firing some kind of wave at Kyle, and there's a... 
he's brought cars to life. They've got eyes. Uh, <laughs> creepier than the Pixar take. Uh, close. <laughs> they're, both pre- they're both pretty unsettling. Uh, and there's a, a big yellow, off yellow, I guess, cube with people sort of trying to break free from it, which is very disturbing. It's a really odd image. Um, I do like how you start to s- learn a little bit about Kyle's preferred like tactics, like using using the ring. Yes. Like we've obviously seen him make a giant mecha suit before, but yeah, here he's actually generated like a mini squadron of people with guns and knives. It's kind of it's kind of cool. Yeah. And these next few pages, you sort of each moment that Kyle's going to recount feels like it gets weirder than the last. It's really a scale of strangeness. <laughs> uh yeah, um on a page which is already kind of bursting with the color green, um we see Kyle reclining in a beautiful apartment like next to a swimming pool. There's an amazing view with a waterfall out the window. Uh he's surrounded by beautiful women. He's holding the philosopher's stone. There's a little martini glass next to him. The only catch is everything is green. But he tells us it's months before he noticed. He finds this paradise. He finds the stone. And he's there for months before he realises everything is green. And that effectively, it's just an illusion conjured by his mind through his ring. Yeah, and he, I guess, with his power of willpower breaks breaks out of the dream and wakes up in a field of hypnotic flowers. Now, I'm wondering, because this is a very Wizard of Oz panel, you know, the moment where Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Lion go to sleep in the field of hallucinogenic poppies. I'm wondering, Does that happen? Yeah. Can I make a confession, Peter? Have you never seen The Wizard of Oz, John? I've never seen The Wizard oh of Oz. Oh, my God. No, it's... Uh, yeah, there's a, a field of poppies and they send... Send all the friends to sleep, and yeah, this feel this it looks a lot like that. I'm wondering if this was Morrison influenced by the Wizard of Oz, and he specified it in the script, or if Porter read Hypnotic Flowers, Kyle waking up, and just went to the Wizard of Oz as a reference. But either way, it's big Wizard of Oz reference that I love. I think is is beautiful. Well, it's it's interesting because my mind, I didn't know that was in the Wizard of Oz, and and my mind went to is it. Um, the Odyssey, yes, isn't there like Lotus. there's hypnotic? Yeah, Lotus. Yeah, the Lotus Eaters. Yeah. Um, and I guess that wouldn't be the first time that Morrison's done an overt Wizard of Oz reference because uh, his run on Doom Patrol was very um, inspired by the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, but this is why I can't decide if this was a specific script direction, and I'd love to find out because. We know Morrison is a big fan of Wizard of Oz, but Howard Porter probably knew that too. So if Morrison didn't suggest it, I could quite easily say Porter going, look, I did a Wizard of Oz thing for you. (laughs) My liege. (laughs) (laughs) I hope this pleases you. Um, Honestly, if if I could, you know, to be a fly on the wall or to get some kind of answer, I would absolutely love to know what the deal is with the design of the guy who was using the fake Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, me too. Because that has fascinated me for years. Like, because he's got an A on his chest. 
Yeah, and big orange. I've just been so perplexed. The outfit looks like Aquaman's outfit from uh, the, the Keys. Uh, um, uh, dream world yeah. thing. But it, it's also... Come on, that's basically Sinestro's head. Yeah. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, I'd never... And of course, he's got like, slightly kind of like pinkish skin. I guess we'll never know, PJ. No. No, that's... Unless it's just some weird shit that Howard Porter drew. Well, I wonder if it is supposed to be like a, an amalgam of bad guys Green Lantern has fought. And, mm. and if this is also just happening in his head. Yeah. I, um, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> uh uh, and, uh, until we inevitably get Grant Morrison on the episode, yeah. then we can we can just ask him. So you know that that's in the pipeline. Don't worry about it. Certainly, for a character that only ever appears in one panel in this issue of JLA, he's very striking. He is, yeah. And doesn't um, and I'd always thought like, is that a bit of like an animal man thing because he's got a big A oh, on his maybe. chest? I don't know. <laughs> maybe like um. A couple of pages of Grant Morrison's script got kind of like glued together, <laughs> and and Porter just ended like drawing like four characters into one. Um, but yeah, PJ, sorry, we um uh, from these two uh, failed encounters to find the Philosopher's Stone, we cut to another bizarre scene. Yeah, so we have in the background Kyle sort of wading into almost swamp water uh, with what looks like a crashed plane behind him, and there's a couple of statues around that seem to have crystals growing out of them, and in the foreground is another statue on its knees of clearly of a superhero, but not one we know. It's got a weird helmet on with... You can see its mouth, although that is a skull at this point, because dude's dead. But he's got, like, the Shazam lightning bolt on his chest, and... Yeah... It's a really bizarre and striking image. I, I mean, and frankly, like, I mean, this is obviously years before it, but now the thing that springs to mind to me is like uh, Dark Souls. Yeah. Like uh, the game, it's, it's really kind of like gothic horror. It's pretty, it's pretty grim. It is. And there's a ruined city in the background as well. This, this whole page, I would say, is incredibly eerie. It's Howard Porter doing a really effective horror page in in this superhero book. And horror in comics, I think, is something that is so hard to do because mm. so much of horror depends on timing. And that's quite tricky in, in a comic. You can't really control how quickly the reader's, you know, actually going to look at the pictures, how much they're going to study them, how quickly they're going to go through the book, uh, which is why I can't think of any actually scary comics. Um, I, said, I couldn't 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 have said it better myself, PJ. And yeah, it's a, it's a real problem. Yeah, and there's some good horror comics, but they're not scary. They're always just sort of more the fun, you know, thrill ride take on horror rather than being actually creepy. And this is about one of the creepiest pages I've ever seen in a comic. And also, we're only like four pages into the issue. Yeah, this is the sequence Which, I said was one the one I was one of my absolute favorite sequences in Rock of Ages. Is these two pages of where Green Lantern's been as he travels through hyperspace or wherever they're going. I mean, like, and, yeah, God, I mean, just, like, so many ideas packed in to, like, such a short space. Like, it is 
incredible. And if and if and if you're one of the people who cares about I don't know value for money or all that kind of stuff, like how much content should you get from like a monthly comic? God, you're spoilt for you're spoilt for choice here. Like it's just more ideas than most series would have. Like let alone one issue, let alone like four pages. Yeah. It's insane. Yep. So Kyle tells us he's and, and even the dialogue just goes. This is this is beautifully done. He says, I ended up on a graveyard planet orbiting a black sun and found superheroes from other times and planets, hundreds of them, fallen in the quest. And I couldn't stand the thought of finding Flash or Aquaman there, but I had to go on. I knew I'd end up dying if I didn't go on. I mean, I'd always liked Kyle, given that like this series was like my like only experience with the character, really. But like this storyline in particular just completely drives home like why I love him, like why he's kind of great. Like he he's so he's so endearing as well. Like especially considering like he's a relative new a relatively new superhero. Yeah. The fact that he's gone on like this incredible quest and he's just putting himself through this, like yeah, it's like you you, you know, I, I'm an instant believer in that, like he's worthy of being the Green Lantern of this era. Do you know what this uh, this page in particular reminds me of? The when you put the words together with the images, that it really strong resemblance to the the Marshes of the Dead sequence from the Lord of the Rings. Tell me you've read yes. or seen that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm I'm culturally aware of it. <laughs> yeah, that is a very good point. Yes, of course this predates it as well. So Peter Jackson, he's a dirty thief. Hmm. Okay. That's what you meant to say, isn't it, Peter? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> um but yeah, and I guess one thing it does quite well is like this kind of like creeping the creeping kind of sense of dread where Kyle, who's kind of like delirious, is approaching this vast door which is which is opening and you don't see what Kyle sees. You just see him kind of like stumbling back in horror. Yeah. And like I saw it. Like I, I saw it, and 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 it, and it's like, oh my god! Like, what the hell did he see? Yeah, and he did describes he it as an iron prism, and you see him also striding past another skeleton lying in the swamp, and it's a giant figure, and that Kyle is, I guess, standing striding over his wrist because you've got his head in the water on one side of Kyle, and then this skeletal hand coming out of the water the other side, and again, it's. It's a creepy image. There's some beautifully done fog tendrils just floating across the page. I love this page so much. Yeah, so Howard, if you're listening, um you did you you did good, kid. Like we're we're, we're quite <laughs> impressed, it has to be said. Um but yeah, so we cut from this like horrific scene to Kyle talking to his strange companion. And and he's frantic. He's going like, you know, look, I, I, I saw it. Like, I know what's going on. I, I have to get home. I have to find my friends. And this other dude is going like, you know, calm, chill, chill. You know, your friends are here. You're safe. All is well. We snared, we snared you all on a bio-radar trawl. Which, what is that, Grant? What is that? <laughs> I mean... I understand what radar is. I understand all the individual words on their own. (laughs) (laughs) 
Then what are you moaning about, PJ? <laughs> yes, well. But uh, we are suddenly introduced to Kyle's companion, uh, who is who looks amazing, I have to say. Yeah, I love this character design. Uh, he is white all over. Uh, he's he's got a bit of shading to him now, so he's not just like a hole cut out of a page. Uh, he's got like a minimalistic kind of blue symbol on his chest. He's got like a a weird domed full face visor and big chunky feet and hands. And uh, he basically goes, "Welcome to the world quarters of the theocracy, order's last outpost before the eternal dark." Welcome to Wonderworld. Jesus Christ, Grant Morrison's so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, like, you people occasionally throw criticism at him for, like, throwing words together and kind of smacking it until it looks like mythology. But, like, this lands so right. Like, it just it sounds epic. It feels epic. I, I don't... Oh, I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Me too. As... I think this is the best Morrison ever did in terms of building his own mythology is this this storyline, this place, these characters he's introducing now. It just, it's so good. Uh, PJ, I've been, I've been, I've been rambling. Uh, please take the mic. What's, what's happening? So Kyle is still naturally confused and he's saying where am i what you said my friends are here do you mean flash and aquaman because i have a lot of friends i'm a very popular guy is the implication and uh this this figure just says look you are safe you've you've been hurled to the utmost perimeter of space and time beyond there is only the unknowable and then he introduces himself as the moat and says he specializes in self-miniaturization and kyle says well so you can shrink great i mean you look pretty normal size to me and then they step out, and Moat says, things are bigger here. And it turns out Kyle is tiny, and there are giants flying overhead. Uh, yeah, um, we get this wonderful kind of splash page, uh, and they're, they're superheroes, yeah. basically. They're just gigantic. Yeah, and there's some really cool designs in here. This is... This is Howard Porter firing on all cylinders, isn't it? There's there's a giant metallic dude in sort of burnt red colouring and blacks and purples, and then a fiery one, like a big quartz guy, a stretchy person. Well, that's the thing. They are what I like about them is they're kind of like they're a little tropey. Yeah. So you you kind of you get instantly like oh that's the Mr. Fantastic character. That's the uh, the Human Torch character. Um, there's a lady who has kind of like um, like Banshee from the X Men, like his his weird um, arm, feet, cape, wing yeah. things he had. So I'm like, oh, okay, we're on safe territory here. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. We're in the company of heroes. And it's also this page, which is what six pages in, seven pages in. Where are we finding out uh, the title and credits? Yeah, I mean, hell of a prologue. So this is Rock of Ages, part three. Wonderworld. 
Grant Morrison, writer, Howard Porter, penciler, John Dell, inker, Pat Garrahy, colorist, heroic age separations, Ken Lopez, letterer, Peter Tomasi, associate editor, and Dan Raspler was the editor. And then we get the roll call as well. So that's nice. Yeah, just in case you'd forgotten that this is actually a JLA story, and a few pages ago, uh, they were battling the Injustice Gang. Yes. Which things suddenly explode. You really could. It's it's so. I think it's such a baller move to have the first two issues be we're fighting the Injustice Gang, and then suddenly the first like quarter of this third part, Morrison introduces these huge ideas. It's a, it's a flex, isn't it? Yeah. Because like you know, as you said, we the series opened on a blast. You know, then we had some smaller stories that really made you think. Then we had, uh, you know, revitalize an old enemy. And then you think you're in the middle of a storyline about, oh, our heroes meeting an evil team. Like, we know where we stand. We're on safe territory. But I I do kind of wonder, like, how much Morrison was saving up for this storyline. Like, because this is his first major multi-part story like this is the longest multi-part story we've encountered so far in the series i believe it's I the the longest one until the end until we get to world war three isn't it uh yes i think you're right pj because yeah because he kind of like because the opening the opening story was four parts with the hyperclass yeah uh, four chapters yeah and the the, there's a few more four parters as we go through like the JSA crossover that's a four parter for example but uh, but yeah this is the only six parter I believe mm-hmm. um and yeah and and just to prove that uh, you know we're cramming in stories like there's no tomorrow uh, we cut from Kyle in Wonderworld to now right the now the place and the time just now right now. Uh, and um, the Injustice Gang's creepy, cool skull satellite. Uh, where, well, PJ, he's your favourite character. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I'm a well, fan, I, but... Well, P- PJ, of of the presenters of this show, you know, you know, you, you, know, you have uttered the words gem, son of Saturn... In a context that isn't the JLA cast, so I think you know a bit more about. Do, do you mean of the two of us, I'm the one that's read some of his own comics? Uh, you might be the only person, possibly. <laughs> no, no, my my friend Gavin from 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 Dorking, he's read them too because because we lent them to each other. Maybe just us two <laughs> let's though. Get, let's get Gavin on the show. He can. We'll, we'll do a spin-off episode all about gems, son of Saturn. <laughs> But yeah, we we cut to the satellite where Joker is messing with Jem. Uh, he's complaining that Jem's not very lively as far as aliens go. He asks Lex if he's brainwashed him with the spooky stone and then wonders what would happen if he got unbrainwashed. And uh, then he puts a cigar in Jem's mouth and lights it. But Lex, you'd think this behaviour would annoy Lex normally, but Lex is a bit distracted. Yeah, um, and of course the Joker is being... I mean, super annoying, like even more so than usual. Yeah. And Lex is not be pistol whipping him or, you know, threatening to shoot him or anything because on the screen he's watching the massive explosion of the fake satellite that they trapped uh, Superman and John in. And he's like, I, I think I just killed Superman. 
and he's he, he's like absolutely like his jaws hanging open. Yeah, like it's the happiest moment of his life. But it's the next panel where you get a close up on Lex in profile, and he just looks shell shocked. He can't believe it. I mean, he. I mean, come, I mean, come on, Lex. You're a smart guy. Well, <laughs> you've yes, got to know. He, I feel like there is an element of Lex at this point probably doesn't really know what the deal is with Superman's new powers and what his vulnerabilities are at the moment. So he's just seen this massive explosion and he's like, have I, is that, have I done it? Oh my God. I've killed, what? Um, and, uh, a Joker comes over and kind of like pats him on the back in a way. And, um, he's kind of like laughing cause he's the Joker and like feigning mock outrage because he's like, you, it's, you weren't supposed to kill Superman until I killed Batman. Like, with the, with the old world's vilest team. Lexi, how could you? <laughs> Just as the cigar he put in Jem's mouth explodes in Jem's mouth in the background. And and Lex is, as you say, just like jaw hanging open. It's just like, you know, shut up, Joker. And his, you know, the, the font goes tiny, which PJ, of course, you and I being experienced seasoned creators know. They ran out of ink. Talk. They ran out of ink. <laughs> Had to write small. Could... It means that the printer got further away from the book. For... <laughs> um, uh, but no, uh, he's talking in a quiet voice. and He goes, look, it went up like a sun. And we get this close up of this massive explosion out in space. Uh, and then over the page, we're still seeing the explosion, but Superman and Jean are just floating in the middle of it. And Superman says, I'm starting to learn how to use these new powers. I absorbed the entire energy output of the blast, except for the light. So as an amateur who's already, you know, stopped the moon from falling to Earth and in fact repelled it, and all these other feats he's done, and he's like, <laughs> I'm starting to get the hang... I think Superman is... Um, this is the difference between Grant Morrison and John Byrne writing Superman with his energy powers. Grant Morrison writes him as knowing exactly what he's doing, but sort of in his head, doubting it a little bit. He's like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing, but actually, he's really good at this already. He's Superman. He's got it figured out. He just needs to believe that himself a bit more. Whereas John Byrne just writes him as... as John Byrne doesn't know how to write him. Let's go with that. Sorry, I'm still bitter about Genesis. Um... Now, PJ, um, it, it may come as a surprise to you, but um, I have a deep and abiding love and admiration for Electric Blue Superman. I know we haven't talked about it much, but... Um, no, it hasn't come up. It hasn't come up, incredibly. <laughs> um, I, think, I, I, <laughs> I do apologise. <laughs> no, we'll leave that in. It's organic. It's real. Um, but I would say that a young John would um, steal... Oh, no, no, that sounds bad. Um, Mug? Pilt. Pilfer uh, a lot of these ideas for his own ends when creating his own teenage superheroes, mm -hmm. shall we say. And uh, there may have been a very similar energy-based character in some of my very early creations, which mercifully never saw print. You know you have to try and... Tell me there were drawings. You did drawings of them, yeah? There, there, there were drawings. Tell me these are in a box somewhere that you can get out and share with the world at large on the internet. Maybe PJ, on the Instagrams. I, PJ, I could lean to the left and I could I could pick them up. <laughs> Gen, this, you're being genuine right now. Please tell me that's the truth. 
Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, they're in a folder beside my computer. Oh <laughs> about too my far away from me. god! Right, when this episode's coming out, you need to put those online. <laughs> okay, um, you can't disappoint uh, our listener. I no, you're right, PJ. No, I know, I know, our um, thousands of listeners will be very disappointed. <laughs> I, I will have to, I'll have to scan those at some point and, and share them with the world. Um. But no, back back on safer territory though, PJ. Um, away from my teenage shame, uh, I love, as as you say, like Superman right into it. You know, bearing in mind we've just been blown up, uh, is already solving the problem, and I love that neither of them are going like, oh my god, we've just been blown up. It's just pure business. Yeah. Like, they're they're just right into it, like consummate professionals. Superman absorbs everything except the light from the explosion so that it still looks like there's been an explosion. And Jean straight away is right. Luther's going to assume we're dead. We can't underestimate them. (laughs) I think he's got an alien telepath interfering with our communications. He's already on it. Yeah, it's like, oh, God, I just, I love it. I love it. They're like old, old, well... If not comrades, well, they are old comrades, but they're like old business associates who've just been doing this so many times. Yes. And Jean then also says, look, I can't detect Wally, Kyle or Aquaman. And Superman's just straight away, they can handle themselves. Let's go deal with Luther and his gang. And John's like, okay. And he goes, can you see the radio wavefront of Luther's bioscan approaching us? We should take one last breath of this escaping oxygen and proceed at speed. And then there's this beautiful panel of Superman and the Martian Manhunter flying out of the middle of this explosion towards Earth, both looking very determined, like they're moving very fast. It's a really cool hero moment for both of them. This entire sequence is is short, but amazing. And Howard Porter absolutely nailing it. But I, just going about the inter the amazing interpersonal relationships in JLA, like the way Superman and Batman have a friendship which transcends just them kind of going and punching people together. I love how you put Jean and Superman together and there's some they have a commonality which no other members of the League mm. would have, both aliens on a distant planet. And I feel you see a side of Superman around Jean that you don't see with other people? I think there's almost an element of as well, with because they are both aliens on Earth, effectively the last of their kind from dead worlds, and they are both so powerful as well. There's an element of them just being able to cut loose a bit more with each other. Yes. Yeah. And oh so much. And like and, and the fact that I feel Superman is always having to hold back. Yeah. Like around like his fellow leaguers. Like, you know, him and uh him and Batman flying together. Batman in the bat plane in uh, in the opening storyline. Mm. And Batman's like, uh, you know, you can go ahead if you want. I can't keep up with you. <laughs> yeah, and Superman's just like, I want to hold back and chat. Yeah, and then here we just have, you know, Jean and Superman just flying down into orbit. Um, and Superman just goes latitude 18, longitude 157. And the two of them just... That's all that needs to be said. It's just incredible. And the fact that Superman just blasts towards Earth and trusts John to keep up with him, and you get these two trails that streak behind them, and you can tell whose is whose because Superman's crackles with energy and John's is just sort of green. 
and smooth. <laughs> and they dive into the ocean and then fly out carrying this massive chunk of rock, which John just says, yeah, I think this has a mass close to that of Luther's satellite. <laughs> so my question to you, PJ, is did... Uh, oh, good grief. Sorry, I, uh, this is terribly unprofessional of me, but the heavens have just opened and uh, there's a, there is a roaring. The house is just being absolutely buffeted right now. Oh, that's been um, happening the whole time we've been recording is, here. Oh, I see. Sorry, no, I, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not hard like you Cardiff, <laughs> you Cardiff boys. Um, so my, my question my question to you, PJ, is: Did Jean and Superman have a private telepathic communication where, which might go something to the effect of, "Hey, let's grab a rock. Cool. I see a rock. Great. Help me lift it." Or are they just so? Do they just know each other so well that they didn't even have to say anything? They just both went and carved a massive rock out of the ocean. I think there probably was some telepathic communication here, but what I particularly love about this is that it turns out the JLA's plan to deal with the Injustice gang is basically, should we chuck a rock at them? Yeah, let's chuck a rock at them. And I also love, PJ, that even though the two of them are lifting this colossal rock (laughs) the size of a small island out of the ocean, um, Superman still has limitations. Because he goes, hey, look at us. We're both pretty swole. We're lifting an <laughs> island. Um, but I'm going to use some of the extra energy I absorbed from a bomb to enhance my electromagnetic field and boost this thing into orbit. That is a cool detail. It is. It is. What I love about this, these two pages are they're just so much fun. This is just a fun spread of, of effectively Superman and John flying into the ocean and lobbing a rock into space. And when you've been dealing with the first seven pages of the issue of these massive ideas, these these really weird stuff Morrison's doing, and then you just get two pages of rock chucking. And I I, I would also say, like, this is, to me, a, a masterclass in writing overpowered characters. Yes. Because it's always the criticism against Superman. People always say Superman's boring because he's too powerful. And I just feel that's, well, I think that's a limitation of how he's written. Yes. Because here you have two characters who can survive a massive explosion, fly, re-enter the Earth under their own power, and then throw a rock the size of an island into orbit. And in a different creator's hands, that would seem lazy and gratuitous. Whereas this seems believable because they have a couple of limitations along the way. Yes. I also think that it's a combination of the way uh, Morrison's written it with just how it, it dynamic it's been drawn by Porter. It just looks so cool. It's... Yeah, this is an artist and a writer working together so well on just... The, it's a symbiosis, almost. <laughs> I I have um I've long had a a pocket theory that uh uh store, comics or moments in comics can be either cool or they can be necessary mm. like to drive a story ahead and occasionally you get that sweet spot where something is both cool and necessary cool and I, I would say that like I necessary or nul <laughs> and uh I think to go to one extreme, I would say the worst of like 
90s image comics would be just cool. Yeah. Where everything was epic, well, not epic, extreme, but had absolutely no substance. And then, oh, I don't know, the other end of necessary, the extreme of necessary would be, I don't know, let's say something like Genesis. Where that like, wasn't necessary. No, the whole thing is unnecessary, but like the story happens. Like you can't deny that it got from A to B. If you want to talk necessary in a good comic, but that isn't necessarily cool, some of the, let's say, in-between prosy bits in Watchmen. Yes, yes. Like it's serving a purpose and it's and it's and it's it's valuable and you couldn't do without it. But like it's not it doesn't make your blood race. Yeah. And yeah, and I think there is that sweet spot in the middle, and I think this is absolutely because yeah, because really all that matters is Jean and Superman are throwing a rock at the bad guys. Yeah. But it's done with such style. It's it's uh, it's incredible. And then as they watch the rock leave orbit, both dripping with water, Jean just says, rendezvous with Batman in three minutes. Ready? And Superman's response is calculating, go. <laughs> um, uh, but, but PJ, from this elaborate uh, rock slinging, uh, we cut back to the Injustice Gang's headquarters. Yeah, where Joker has found... I don't know where it's. Is it like acid bubbles? He's found, you know, like those those bottles of of washing up liquid that come with a little stick, and you use it to blow bubbles. But they're green with skulls in them, and the label uh, on the it, bottle is a bat symbol <laughs> with three crosses above it, and the liquid is is bubbling green. It's weird. Uh, I he he brought it with him. Peter. I'm going to assume that someone let Joker into the science lab on the satellite, and he's been playing with the chemistry set. <laughs> Um, there's a lot going on in this scene. Like, um, uh, Luther is barking orders, uh, but in the background you've got like Ocean Master, Doctor Light, and Mirror Master. I guess just kind of doing admin. Yeah, like Ocean Master's kinda... in front of a screen and seems to be pressing buttons, and then Mirror Master and Doctor Light are just walking around. <laughs> I mean. They don't have a lot to do right now. I also do quite like how Jem is still sat there on his chair as well, but uh, he's got smoke curling up from above his head and his face is burned from Joker's cigar. And Luther points out that the alien seems uncomfortable. That's because a cigar just exploded in his mouth. And And he basically says, like, are we ready for the grand finale? Because uh, he's like, hey, I've just killed Superman and, jo- and the, Ma- the Martian, so we just got to wrap things up now. Uh, and um, Dr. Light says, hey, uh, Cersei is arriving by teleporter. Uh, I-, I-, I kind of, I love how kind of useless a lot of the Injustice gang are. Yeah. It's like they've been hired because they have a particular skill, but they're just completely out of their element just <laughs> i guess it's kind of sad really ocean master just spends all his time running the machines yeah and dr light i mean we know he helped create the the hologrammatic versions of the justice league that they attacked was it star city with yeah uh yes and but now he's like cersei's here and you have to talk to her and she's recruited a member of the jla and i'm i'm leaving the issue now you won't see me again probably 
Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and um, Cersei steps out of the teleporter with um, Green Arrow, uh, just in time for the champagne. And uh, she says, that, hey, we've recruited him. He wants to join. And Connor, to his credit, he's like, I'm not having champagne. I don't drink and I'm not going to hurt anyone, but I will help you shut down the JLA. Which, to be fair, you wouldn't. Lex doesn't trust him. He said, look, I, I need I need a sign. So you need to sever all channels of communication to the JLA watchtower, but one and give me the access codes I need. And Connor says, look, no one gets hurt and the codes are yours. And then he's he says, I'm doing this for my father, not for you. So that follows on from the conversation he had with Cersei in the previous issue, where she was sort of trying to imply Superman was maybe responsible for Oliver Queen's death. Yeah, and I guess kind of, you know, instantly jumping on from a previous scene, um, we're back on the Watchtower, and Aztec, poor Aztec, who my sympathy for him has only only grown and grown in 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 exploring his own series um is basically going like so metron when are the guys gonna get back but they metron is 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 teleporting out like he is disappearing yeah just a crackle of light and his chair it's it's fading you can sort of start to see the the walls of the watchtower through the bottom of the chair and his legs as he's completely ignoring aztec as well can I just draw attention to the fact that Aztec's costume has undergone a miraculous change uh, <laughs> between pages? Um, in his own series, they never seemed entirely certain as to whether or not he had a black triangle on his shoulders, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it wasn't there in the previous couple of issues. It wasn't there at the start of this issue. But it's there now, kind of. Yeah, it is. Some panels it is, some panels it isn't. I think it looks infinitely better with the black triangle. I prefer it with the black as well. I think it, it complements the gold and the white a bit more. I think they definitely made it an executive decision down the line, where I think in all kind of future appearances he definitely has that kind of black triangle. But I think they were they were still wrestling with their consciences at the moment. <laughs> But while we study Aztec's costume, he hears a voice as someone over the communications just says, Aztec, please pay attention, and then announces that they're his mystery benefactor, which, if you did read or listen to our episode about Aztec series, you'd know someone basically fixed all of his problems very quickly, made every issue he had go away. Yeah, and the the face of Lex Luthor appears on the screen and again showing why Lex Luthor is just such a devious bastard instantly instantly gets under Aztec's skin by basically saying hey look you know the Q Foundation who gave you your armor trained you you know prepared you for the coming battle against the you know the ultimate battle uh, against evil um hey I paid for it all uh, and, uh, you know, I may not believe that a god of evil will return, but um, I basically own you because now I have my very own superhero in the Justice League. He, he, he then says to him, there is no shadow god. You're a warrior without a war. 
uh, and you are going to betray the Justice League because you, I don't believe in the Shadow God, but you do. Aztec does <laughs> protest because we, you know, Aztec's a good guy. He's not going to do the evil stuff. He's 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 a very straight up person. He's he's lovely. You uh, you trust him I, to look after your cat. Yeah, and, and again, like Luther, smart in many ways, but also kind of short sighted in other ways. Seems to think he's got he's got Aztec completely pinned now because he says, "Look, you know, if you don't agree to work for me and be my own personal superhero, uh, I'm going to kill you." And hey, that may maybe you'll do that. Maybe that's a noble way to die. But if you die, there'll be no one left to save the world from becoming evil, which only you believe in. So he's like, "Hey, I've, I'm, I'm Lex Luthor. I've got him. I win." You know, he can't imagine that this will that Aztec would think any differently. And then Lex teleports uh, 12 fully armed nuclear missiles onto the watchtower, counting down, gonna explode, blow up the watchtower, kill Aztec. And he just says, channel is open anytime you want to change your mind. You've got four minutes. I suggest you run to the teleporter. <laughs> I'd expect you to report for duty. And also, a, a kind of nice that, like, the plan doesn't necessarily involve just two super powered people beating the crap out of each other like uh sometimes all it takes is a lot of money and and a stolen teleporter yep and aztec does look worried now pj it is kind of this is a major like revelation for aztec yeah like as as a character um and i guess the big question would be how much of this was ultimately planned how much kind of panned out this way because his series was cut short I guess we'll never really know, well, I suppose. We know that you know Lex was introduced as his mystery benefactor in the pages of Aztec before we ever got here, although Aztec hadn't found that out. Uh, we, the reader, we did know that. I would imagine it wasn't something that was supposed to be revealed in the pages of JLA. Uh, I would imagine it was supposed to be a revelation down the line if this Aztec series had continued. Uh, mm. But again, this is just Morrison making the best of Aztec being cancelled, but him being the man behind JLA and being able to just bring the character in. So it's something that it would have been more interesting to follow Aztec on this journey a bit more and see how he responds to finding out exactly who his benefactor is. But Morrison makes the best of things. I It's interesting, like because again, my only introduction to Aztec had been in the pages of JLA. And when um, when we uh, when we were reading Aztec series, it, it did surprise me that that Luther's identity was actually revealed in those pages. Me too. Like I found I found it odd that the reader knew uh, the reader finds out before Aztec does. In a way, I guess that's dramatic irony. But still, this was such a good reveal to me. In the pages of JLA, yeah, I first because I was, I read this, I'd read Aztec before we covered it, but I'd had read this long before I ever first picked up Aztec several times. So I always thought this was where Aztec and the reader found out it was Lex Luthor. I had no idea Lex had appeared in Aztec: The Ultimate Man, so uh, it was a surprise to me as well when I went back and checked that book out. Um, and again, I a younger John really enjoyed this like i again aztec doesn't get a lot to do in this particular this particular you know story and i was like who the hell is aztec why is he turned up in jla what can he even do 
Um, but like this struck a chord with me. I was like, oh, I feel for the guy. And yeah, what Luther has planned and done to him to get him in this kind of checkmate situation is kind of brilliant. Like completely eating away at his 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 own beliefs and uh, insecurities. And we should say he's not going to appear again in this issue. We're not going to get a resolution to this today. <laughs> but hopefully something smart will happen in the next uh, ooh, uh, four minutes, I suppose. <laughs> well, we're not going to find out yet. We're going to cut back to Wonderworld. And uh, another popular Grant Morrison trope, PJ. Two characters walking through a fantastic museum. Yes, but this is, again... I mean, with with the the fact that Wonderworld has been introduced so well at the beginning of the issue, uh, this this particular version of of the Morrison Museum uh, does a lot for me. I'm I, I like it. Oh hell yeah! Um, and PJ, if we could, if we could, um, so so basically, uh, the moat is taking Kyle on a tour of the well, literally the wonders of Wonderworld. Uh, so that it's apparently the city of Omnitropolis, which covers the entire surface area of Wonderworld, and they're currently in the museum district. Yeah, and then it gets very uh, 1950s comic book cover with most descriptions. Because see there! Exclamation point! The brain of a mind, all that remains of the immortal cyborg tyrant, and then another speech bubble, and there with another exclamation mark, an evil imp from the fifth dimension trapped in a bottle with six dimensions. And PJ, can we talk briefly about the infant universe of Quebec, which is sitting in a petri dish? <laughs> yes, we can. And the private mythology of Grant Morrison, which transcends DC uh, books and series, and he's allowed to do it because he's basically Grant Morrison and it makes sense to no one else but him. But while this might be the first appearance of QEC, it is not the last. Just going to say, I didn't realise it rhymed with Uek. <laughs> I know, it, it looks better on the page, I'm not going to lie. I, I, um, in my head it was always Quook. Quook, yeah. Um, Q, 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 Quick, Quick, Q, W, E, W, Q, Quick. It's a palindrome. Quick. Yeah. So, PJ, for bonus points, could you please name two subsequent subsequent appearances of the infant universe of Quick? No. Uh, I, I genuinely I... don't remember. Okay, well, uh, there actually are uh, three more I can think of. One is in the pages of All-Star Superman. That makes sense. Where Superman, as one of his 12 legendary labors, creates... Well, he doesn't create it, but he breathes life into the universe of Quebec. Okay. Uh, so you see, like, a cube of universe in his um, Fortress of Solitude. I think I do recall that now, actually. Yeah, I didn't didn't realise it was the same universe. Uh, well, there you go. And then, PJ, in the pages of Seven Soldiers of Victory... Which I never finished, because, and I'm very sorry, I know people love that book, but I got bored. It's okay. 
it, it, it's 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 okay. It's yeah. No, it, I I get that. Um, but there is a bad guy in that called I want to say he's called Nebula. I think I I, I may have got his name wrong, but he is a um he, he's called the Nebula Man, I think, and he's a guy basically like a, like Eternity from Marvel. He's like a guy made of like universe oh, okay. material, and. He explains that well. One character explains that his species go through life cycles, and he is the mature version of the infant universe of QEC. Oh, okay. And PJ, one final one final Grand Morrison uh, reference to QEC is in there was a spin off from this series. Of JLA, featuring, oh, what they call PJ the Super Soldiers, uh, the the Ultramarines, Ult, the Ultramar the Ultramarine Corps, who we will get to, yep. listener, in time. But there was a spin-off book featuring them, and it involved them, <laughs> the Ultramarines, going into the infant universe of QEC to stop a villain. I think may have been called Black Hand or something like that. I do you know what? I didn't realize that had actually happened, or if it had, I thought it was very short lived. It was. I think it was only like a, a limited, a limited miniseries. And I'll be honest with you, I had forgotten about it until this very moment. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have to cover that. Yeah. Well. It, it, yeah. It does spin out of JLA if we can get it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lose any sleep over it if we can't. <laughs> but sorry, PJ. So that is thus ends Jong's uh, uh, info corner, uh, where we 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 um, we took a leather bound book off a shelf entitled QEC and why it matters. <laughs> and then at the end of the book, it turns out it doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, I just find it weird that he keeps referencing it, and it all started here. That is, I like that though. Just this little thing that, you know, people might not even notice. I didn't, and I've read some of those books. Well, yeah, and 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 I think, I think the universe of QEC is meant to be our universe. What? I think it's meant to be the real world. Oh man, Morrison did too hey. much acid. <laughs> hey PJ, guess what? We're in this book. Yeah, I'm, that's our cam that's our cameo appearance. Oh, no, I'm I'm that big brain in a jar. I'm the uh, uh, a mind. <laughs> <laughs> I've often thought of you as as an immortal tyrant, PJ. So anyway, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to shut up now, PJ. What what is happening? Well, Moat's still taking Kyle on his tour, and Kyle does seem baffled, and he ends up just going, "Look, this is amazing, but I need to see my friends. Come on." And then Motis, they're here. Don't miss the original nightmare vehicle used by <laughs> Nightmare and Nemo to enter the subconscious minds of criminals. And it's like, oh my god. <laughs> Motis, the super oh. tour guide. And the Glimmers hyperwheel treadmill. Hmm. Hmm. Put a pin in that. Um, I do like, Moat just seems like a genuinely nice person. <laughs> Yeah, but he seems like one of those nice people who gets ex really excited about stuff you don't actually care about. <laughs> like us and JLA. Um, 
Yeah, it's a bit like a was it like Professor Farnsworth? Like this is the drawer where I keep different lengths of wire, <laughs> sort of thing. Let me tell you more about my wire. Um, it's like when I said to, it's more. I, I said to my sister, oh, "I've got a podcast now." She said, "Oh, what's it about?" I went, "Oh, the Justice League," and she went, "Oh." She'd already hung up. Yeah, but then I kept telling her about it. So gained a listener. No, we haven't. <laughs> oh, okay. Um. But the moat does put a hand on Kyle's shoulder and basically goes, you know, you you should take the time to see and remember these wonders. You know, it's like uh, it's like um, Rog Stewart and his uh, massive um, uh, model railway. <laughs> I, I feel like that's um, that is a line filled with meaning as well, though. And I think it's not just aimed at Kyle. You should... Take time to see and remember, remember in bold and italicised, these wonders, dear reader. Um, thankfully, uh, Kyle is saved from the tour guide from hell uh, by um, Flash and Aquaman. And uh, Wally is actually running over, crying out to Kyle like he actually seems pleased to see him. Yeah. And I think he is, to be honest. If they've had as, as tough a time as Kyle, it's just like, I don't even care. I just, there's someone I know. Yes, thank God. And yeah, um, the three of them look like they've been through hell. And um, Aquaman goes into a bit of what he's been through. And I kind of wish we'd seen that too, because he says, I found myself on worlds where there was no air, only water. I tore an emerald from the head of an octopus god. Come on, who doesn't want to see that? <laughs> Um, and as they're kind of like recapping and Kyle actually throws an arm around Wally which is kind of shocking given that the two of them have just been tearing chunks out of each other I think for, they're friends for issues now. now let's be honest he, oh it's begun PJ yeah friendship cre- fr- friendship crept in <laughs> um, and they're climbing onto like a weird little platform as they're catching up and the moat ha- is sitting in a chair flicking some switches and uh, Aquaman's basically going like, I don't trust Metron. And Kyle, who apparently knows exactly what's going on, is trying to tell them that, like, yeah, I know. Like, it's bad news. But before but, he can tell them about that, Moat teleports them onto a table. Like, a, well, a giant table. Or I guess a normal-sized table for Wonderworld. Yes. But the point is that they are tiny. Yeah, it's the the conference table of I can't remember what they called them the tetrarchy tetrarchy the uh, the theocracy theocracy that's it it's the their conference table so it's like the JLA one but a lot bigger with giant superheroes sat around it who don't have their symbols on their chairs because they're not important enough to warrant logos. I'm guessing uh, theocracy would mean uh, a form of government ruled by gogs well yeah and actually now i've said no logos if you notice the uh the leader of the theocracy who is called adam one does have a pair of scales on top of his the back of his chair which i don't think i'd ever noticed. no me neither any... but that says no. to me you know we're here to keep order uh yeah and um basically adam one who is i really like the look of him yeah. he's he's like a a a Superman made from rusting iron panels, basically. He looks like the Angel of the North, basically. <laughs> <laughs> With a lovely purple cape. And he welcomes the, the, the three of them, uh, tiny as they are. And we we see the theocracy kind of around the table. And we also get a 
uh, a representation of Wonder World itself. Yeah. Which is a, a, a really kind of cool detail. It is a, a planet with six moons uh, all tethered to the planet and pointing in um, the cardinal directions. It's quite a fun little image. It is. Yeah, just floating, I think, slightly above the table. Yes. <coughs> Apologies again. I keep choking on my drink. <laughs> <clears throat> PJ, it goes, you know, not in the lungs. Not in the lungs. <laughs> um, but yeah, and we see some of the eclectic uh, band of gigantic heroes. Um, again, got a lot of time for a character whose head is on fire. And we have two of them. Yeah, one of them is blue fire. Um, that's cool. And then the other one is your normal sort of ready orange fire. And he also has nicked Mjolnir from Thor. Yeah, and um, Adam Wan basically gives the the spiel of you know what they're all about, and he basically says like, "I'm Adam Wan. I was created by the gods in primal time to tame the original world, Mamord. Alone, I wrestled with chaos for a billion years, and in time, Mamord became Wonderworld." It's Wow. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, This global fortress traverses the entire space-time frontier at hyper-temporal speeds, unimaginable even to you, Flash. This is a sales pitch. (laughs) We have some lovely pamphlets. (laughs) It is, because he says, We patrol and defend the boundaries of the known universe. Beyond, there is only the eternal abyss, dot, 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 and... The anti-sun. The anti-sun. <laughs> that may... No, probably a minor detail, PJ. Not yeah, really, we don't need to... Not, not really relevant. Linger on that. So, and he then just says, join us. He invites them. He invites Green Lantern, Flash and Aquaman to join the theocracy. Uh, and super beings of 10,000 worlds, man, our battlements. And then Kyle's just like, we can't do that. Can I speak to my friends for a moment? Adam was like, hang on. We And Aquaman just straight up goes, we're talking. And I love Aquaman, who's teeny tiny compared to these guys, just going, shut up. I'm going to talk to my friends here. Just taking charge. Yeah, and I, I, it's a nice little comedic beat, actually. Like, this is meant to be, meant to be, and is just the most epic mythological cosmic biblical stuff you could imagine and then they're like guys no please we need five minutes (laughs) like he just like back the hell off and let us talk and so kyle does he starts telling his friends what he saw and he says he he made it talk again describes the uh, the dead superhero graveyard and the iron prison and he says that's when he looked up and he saw it. And we finally learn what was behind the doors. And we get this amazingly epic shot of a robed and hooded figure standing atop a flight of stairs with lightning crackling around them and smoke. And he addresses Kyle by name and says, Introductions. I became self-aware in the year 85269. I am a diamond a diamond generation intelligent machine colony, DNA programmed with Tyler Miraclo or Miraclo genes bio software. I am our man, 
also known as the Master of Time. It's it's so weird because it's a really bold introduction to an important character who we're going to have completely forgotten appeared in two pages time. <laughs> um, of course, um, I was not. I had heard of our man. Uh, before reading this book, mm. I uh, am not massively familiar with the our man. He's basically he's a fairly minor DC character. Yeah. Um, formerly a member of the JSA. Yeah, Rex Tyler, the original Hour Man, hence the uh, the Tyler Miracle Genes bio software. And it used to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, PJ, that the deal with Hour Man was he could take a magic pill containing a drug called Miraclo or Miraclo. Yeah. And it would give him superpowers for one hour. Yeah. And that was basically it. I mean, heck of a way to, you know, putting your weakness in your name is, is a, it's a bold move. I'll give him that. Yeah. Um, there's always, it's always one thing about, um, I, one thing I've always found about DC characters in general, there are a lot, unlike Marvel characters, that there, there's a, there's a bigger tendency towards them being very iconic mm. and kind of like, an avatar of something. So being like Aquaman, Superman, Batman, our man. It it does kind of speak to me in like a goofy superhero language kind of way. The idea that there's always there's always a man for something. I feel like our man is a better name for the master of time than someone who only has powers for an hour. Yes. Um it's nice to know that at some point down the family tree they eventually the hour man line eventually aspired to something <laughs> but uh kyle he's because this is the flashback to superhero graveyard and so kyle is is sort of at the end of his wits and he's struggling and he just says philosopher's stone i have to find it metron sent me and then our man says and you sent me here the Philosopher's Stone is being misused, and the ripples of its power threaten past, present, and future. As you will see, this is the first time you have met me, but not the first time I have met you. The next time you meet me will be the first time I meet you. It's difficult to render this into third-dimensional language. You gotta love time traveler language. I know. It's just like, oh, it's. Honestly, like I think it's one worse than cosmic. Like if I if I if I was a career superhero, I would rather go cosmic than go chronal. Yeah. I'd just be like, oh god, it's just such a headache. Um but our man opens his hand and he is holding the Philosopher's Stone, which we have seen before. Not in its weird heart configuration, but in, in its weird kind of jumble of twisted metal shapes kind of thing yeah it it repre- it looks like the uh, the image we saw when luther unraveled it in the previous issue and yeah and and, and our man basically goes you've been betrayed by a false god listen to me dot 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 and then we cut back to kyle telling this story to aquaman and flash yeah he says they're on a wild goose chase they're stranded and Flash says, look, we, we scanned him. He he matched the profile of Metron. And Aquaman's just in the corner being surly, quietly says, I knew it. And, and, Ky- and Kyle shouts that he doesn't care what the scan said. Metron 
had powers they don't have names for, and he was just using them. It wasn't using them, sorry. I misread that word. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Metron has powers we don't even have names for, and he sure wasn't using them for truth, justice, and the American way. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, you did it very well, DJ. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Carl's basically just freaking the hell out. He's like, look, you know, I don't give a crap about any of this. We were tricked. And now if we don't get back to Earth and stop the JLA from beating the Injustice gang, then the Philosopher's Stone gets destroyed and Darkseid turns the Earth into a wasteland, a slave camp. Which is pretty big. Yeah, so there, there you have it, listener. Like, it's almost blinking you'd miss it. But that's the hook. They have to stop the JLA from winning or all time will be broken. And they say, Kyle points up at the theocracy and says, you have to help us. And then one of the theocracy, who seems to be a dead horse, <laughs> uh, it's a horse skull on a, a horseman cape skull with a gnarly skull cap that has some horns on it. Uh, what if Doctor Strange was dead on a horse? Imagine that and you'll be halfway there. Uh yeah, beta beta ray bill esque. Yes. If he was dead and mystical. This guy says, We await the coming of a threat older and more terrible than Darkseid. And then Adam One says, Beware the rise of the anti sun, Mageddon. That's the anti sun, Mageddon. <laughs> Prepare the armies of man, and then Aquaman is just like, No, stop. You're fighting battles on a scale we can barely understand. And he basically just says, send us home. We demand that you send us home and do not tell me it's not possible. Um, and I like the um, the person whose head is on fire with blue flames leans forward and just goes, the hyperwheel. They could use Glimmer's hyperwheel to... Uh, produce the acceleration required to break the space-time barrier and um yeah aquaman i say aquaman sorry adam one basically leans down and goes you'd have to know exactly where you were headed and when you would have no idea and aquaman at this point i think is also thinking yeah no that's that is an issue but if what he says is let us worry about that and then Flash realises they've got the baby boxes and that they might be able to use those to home in on Metron across space and time. This is the woolly science that makes superheroes wonderful. It is. Because I would not fling myself into a cosmic accelerator and shoot my essence across the universe hoping it finds its way home. But that's why I wouldn't be a superhero, PJ. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be stay-at-home, man. This just wouldn't happen to me. Ah, your power is lethargy. <laughs> and apathy don't forget yeah. apathy. um but there's a lovely detail here where the blue flaming head guy goes if your devices fail you could be lost in the realms beyond space and time you would not be comfortable there and then aquaman again just show us the way out and we'll get home i love that aquaman has just taken charge here he's tired of the cosmic bullshit and he's just <laughs> i've been doing this a while now we're going to get home. It's all going to be fine. Leave us alone now. And the flaming... The, the person who... Well, you've got blue fire guy, and then you've got regular fire guy. Do you think it's like... Go, um, 
Superman red, Superman blue. This is Fireman red and Fireman blue. Yes. Uh, and he also has Mjolnir as well, just for good measure. Um, and he goes, follow me. And we cut suddenly to, I mean, just the most cosmic nonsense you'd ever see. Uh, it's this big flaming dude manipulating buttons and controls for a giant wheel which is floating against the backdrop of space and Kirby crackles. Like, it's just insane. And the buttons aren't on a terminal. They're all inside these weird bubbles. And one thing I always took this to be that because this guy is apparently on fire, for him to use any implement, it needs to be suspended in water. Oh, that does make... Yeah, because when he puts his finger into the bubble, it steams, and the ground he's standing on is bursting into flames. So, yeah, just a safety feature. And he goes, and again, just like some completely needless but wonderful world building where he goes, this guy who, we don't even get his name, but he goes, my people, the ancient blacksmiths of Mamord, forged this machine. I have faith that one day it will return the glimmer to us from the abyss. I have faith that it will take you home to your people. Godspeed. Yep. Now, just a weird coincidence here, but isn't Godspeed a Flash villain? Uh, if it isn't, we'd have to invent him. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm <laughs> pretty sure it is. Uh, yeah, God, I, I, it's, what can you say, PJ? It's just, it's just beautiful insanity. Yeah, I love this. And then we, we, we get a bit closer then. We sort of start to leave the cosmic behind, although we're still in weird science realm. Because Kyle and, and Aquaman, Kyle's created a couple of chairs with straps because they're about to do a roller coaster. For him and Aquaman to sit in. And he's 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 panicking a little bit. He's he's saying if we don't stop the JLA beating the bad guys, Darkseid's gonna enslave Earth. I can't handle this. And Flash is just sure you can. <laughs> and yeah, so basically Wally, despite being absolutely tiny, is running in this cosmic treadmill giant wheel thing. And he's kind of like dragging Kyle and Aquaman like along with him. I kind of that's how I kind of interpreted it. Yeah. They're, they're sitting in their seats that Kyle's made. I think he's sort of tethered to them using the speed forces, dragging them along with him. And I I like the idea that Wally just has an instinctive understanding from the speed force of of what he needs to do and how this device works. Because he just starts explaining to it that Aquaman says, well what's what's gonna happen? We're we're moving really quickly. And Flash is saying, this is jogging. And then he says, when I hit top speed, then the treadmill takes over, amplifies my velocity, and we hit, I don't know, faster than light squared. We're accelerating to speeds <laughs> where our entire physical structures will be converted to hyperlight information. And then you get this lovely panel of Aquaman and Kyle both just sat there looking very worried as Aquaman quietly says, we're doing what? And Flash off-panel goes, yeah, isn't it amazing? And I guess it's kind of like his, just his voice accelerates to to pitches that the human ear just cannot comprehend, PJ. <laughs> As we cut, well, earlier we cut to now. Now we're cutting to Earth and the Batcave, to be more specific. Yeah, you can tell because you've got a dinosaur, a giant penny and a big Joker card. Yes, and Batman looking incredibly gothic. I have to say. As Batman can he, do. 
as Batman can do, is standing on a balcony plinth thing and he's talking to someone via a tiny little mirror he's holding. Yeah. And he just goes, be ready for my signal. This is an interesting trick, dot, dot, dot. And uh, we get a Scottish bro coming out of the the mirror he's holding, (laughs) which, again, not going to try and do. But basically gives him a four-minute warning and... Batman says, checks in the mail, McCulloch. And he's talking to Mirror Master. Via a mirror. Just like you do. And uh, Mirror Master goes, you know, fair enough. By the way, just so you know, I didn't kill anybody in Star City. Anyway, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Time to hand you back to your regularly scheduled reflection, eh? And Batman just makes the trademark Batman grunt. <laughs> <laughs> And suddenly Mirror Masker is gone and we see Batman's reflection in the mirror. And Jean and Superman are behind him. And Jean, Jean's looking a bit scowly and Superman says, Bruce, the Mirror Master is a mercenary and you paid him? And Batman, again, just cutting straight to the heart of the problem, goes, look, lives are at stake. I did what we had, what I had to. Um and he said, and besides, the money I paid him has gone to the restoration fund for the orphanage that Miramaster grew up in. Never underestimate the sentimentality of a Scotsman. Grant Morrison's Scottish, isn't he? He is, yeah. 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 Just checking. Is that why Batman's smiling? Because he knows it's meta-commentary. I believe so, <laughs> yeah. And um, Batman, looking very smug, uh, says, the rock's in the air. We have a little over three minutes the Injustice Gang is history. So, looks like the League are on the... It's so... This is a six-part story. We, you, you sort of... I think a lot of people know that going in. This is the epic. It's, it's longer than a three-issue one. This does feel very end-of-story stuff that's happening right now. It's like a weird... Yeah, because obviously you and I know what's coming, PJ. Yeah. But it is like a weird... Even if you didn't have the space-time cosmic shenanigans. There's almost like a weird meta-story here about the threat that almost wasn't and then was yeah. sort of thing, where it's like a, it's almost like a joke, in a way. The fact that, like, Luther went to so much effort making this master plan, and the League are easily beating it? I guess. Like, he went to all this effort and Batman has already counteracted it. Batman's just undone it because he's also Bruce Wayne. And as as he says at the end of the last issue, Luther doesn't know that the League has its own business magnate on the team, that it has Bruce Wayne, who's arguably better at it than Lex Luthor is. And that's that's the JLA's ace in the hole. Yeah, um... And, again, if it weren't for... If it weren't for all this kind of um, cosmic shenanigans we could maybe have faith that everything was going to be okay but as it happens we get this well we cut to outer space i'm sure everything's fine i'm sure it's fine i mean we don't there's no caption there's no explanation there's just an explosion out in space and flash uh kyle and aquaman suddenly appear as kind of like green energy ghosts for lack of a better word 
just kind of like floating in space. Yeah, and Wally says he's never gone so fast that pure information, they're still vibrating. And he basically says, we're ghosts in space. And Kyle's smiling and he says, yes, but we're home. We just have to get to the ground and we'll get Metron. All good. And then there's a bit of, you know, how are we talking in space? It's the ring. Oh, okay, that's fine then. Uh, And then they swim through the weightlessness. And um, their feet, Aquaman mentions he's starting to feel a pull. Like there's, there's something he can feel pulling him towards Earth. And then you get this lovely shot of the Earth with what appears to be a sunrise just coming up over the horizon. Isn't it lovely? Isn't it beautiful? And the three of them, you see their faces and this look of horror is kind of like just plastered across all their expressions. And Wally... Like in like this tiny voice just goes, that's not the sun. And Aquaman goes, dear God, that was Europe. And we turn the page and this is the end of the issue. It's a splash page. And where there was Europe, there is a fire pit like the ones on the surface of Apocalypse. Huge and belching fire and magma into space. It... Yeah, I... Wow. And, yeah, Kyle, Wally and Aquaman are just floating as these kind of ethereal energy ghosts looking down on the Earth. And uh, this goes, Darkseid's here. That's it. And, yeah, I mean, bloody hell. And then we get a little box that just says, Next, Kingdom of Evil. So, yeah, if you were expecting a story that was just the Justice League fighting the Injustice Gang and some of their worst villains teaming up, you get a whole lot more than that. Yeah, like, it is... It is insane on so many levels how much goes on in this story. Like... I... Yeah, to, to think that this chapter was almost entirely devoted to Wonder World and Kyle, Wally and Aquaman going on this insane journey across space and time. That was an issue. And that's over now. And now we're on to something else. And we weren't doing that the previous issue. It's like there's like 15 stories crammed into this one this one adventure. It's, it's, it's mad. And the, the fact that some of them are, are just... Like you get a whole story effectively in one panel... It's it's a really bravura display, I think, from from both Morrison and Porter that they cram so much into this issue in the middle of this this six part story that just takes it in a direction I don't think anybody who picked up this comic the month it was released could have predicted. No, and 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 indeed, I I don't, and obviously trying to avoid spoilers as best as possible. You've just gone on this massive cosmic roller coaster and then there's still so much more to come like you we're about to dive into another kind of aspect of the story as well like it, it it's insane it, I, I can't think of another word for it yeah i think the uh the end of this issue does give a slight clue as to where next issue may take us but there is still plenty of incredibly unexpected diversions that we're about to go on it's it's 
it's still at its heart the story of the Justice League fighting the Injustice Gang, but my god, is it so much more than that. I I, I think it is amazing how you can cram so much in and it, it doesn't feel crowded. Yeah. Like, I, I know, um, again, it is a... There are critics of Morrison who say that he often packs too much stuff in to a story. It can be a bit overwhelming. And I, I, I do I do see that I can think of examples where that maybe is the case, where it, it tips over into being a little overwhelming. <laughs> Final a little, Crisis. Mm. Maybe, maybe Final Crisis. <laughs> and <laughs> there's no maybe about it. Yeah, Final Crisis is, <laughs> is maybe a bit too much. Um, this is that sweet spot where... The ambition is perfectly matched by the execution. Yes. Like, and even at the times where you think, oh, God, this is happening, and then this is happening, and you you kind of feel like maybe you haven't been able to find your feet yet, that actually serves the story because Kyle and and Wally and, and Aquaman, they're as bewildered by it as we are. So the reader is in the exact same place as our heroes, and that makes it work rather than it's not confusing. It's it's kind of wondrous you know it's like the moat is trying to say like just pay attention and remember these things it's it's wonderful yeah and as you say it it leaves you in that place where it's like well what the hell is coming next and even if you picked up the next issue looking at the cover you'd still have no idea because i'm just gonna say it now next issue's cover is just a close-up of jean's face yes that tells you nothing about what goes on inside that comic it it really doesn't it, to the point where it does make me wonder whether it was just a a backup image they had <laughs> I, I, I feel it's, like porter needed something simple to draw it's, it's a very nice cover it's very evocative it doesn't tell you a thing um what else what else is there to say pj um i mean do you know what it's so strange to say but after going through that issue in detail as we have done having read it you know, I always read these comics the night before to prepare myself, and then we go through it together as we record these page by page in in the minutest detail. I would say no one's done this as detailed as we have. <laughs> um, I kind of feel exhausted from that issue in the best way. Do you know what I mean? Where you 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 feel tired, but you know you're tired because you've done something amazing. Yes, yes. No, I I I, I agree. Actually, like I. I do think maybe I don't know, I need a better word for it. I do I, maybe I think value for money is the wrong mm. is the wrong feeling I'm trying to express here. Value for imagination. Value for imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I feel that like time. I said it before, but like how you express the passage of time is one of the biggest things you can master mm. in a comic, and it's for pacing. It, it's for it's for f- you to come away from a 22 page comic feeling like you've experienced a meaningful quantity of time and i don't i don't mean that you got you know 2 pounds worth of comic or you know 2.99 however much a comic costs nowadays or however much it cost in 1997 i just mean like do you feel like what you just read mattered in some way was it weighty did it have did it have heft Yes, and I think I think this does. Yes, like it's astonishing. Like I, I've read so many floppies, so many individual issues where it's all good fun, but I didn't think anything happened at all. 
I, and so much happens here. It's astonishing. I'm struggling to think of another issue of a book like JLA, you know, like any of the other team books, your, your X-Men's, your Avengers, your Challengers of the Unknowns, wherever you want to go, that gets that many big ideas like Wonder World and, and what lies mm. beyond there and, and the characters that we, we meet there and all the stuff Green Lantern goes through just to get to Wonder World that does has that many big ideas that are done so effectively and so evocatively um i it that weren't then part of some big event book at the same time mm. although even then event books i can think of that sort of take a similar tactic to this aren't anywhere near as good no it's 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 bizarre isn't it like cuz i i don't really i don't really think of myself as a I'm not saying I'm like a super fast reader, but I can generally breeze through a uh, you know a, a 22 page kind of floppy mm. in a in a few minutes. Like I just I just kind of like go oh like just go, okay I've got it. Like my brain has processed it, and I think the best comics are the ones that force you to slow down, not because they're confusing, not because they're laid out in a bad way or or diff- you know written in a difficult manner. They're the ones that just make you pay attention because you don't want to miss anything because it's so good. Like you're just kind of drinking it in. And I mean, obviously, we're praising the story and we have praised Howard Porter's artwork. But I think, yeah, it is absolutely the artwork is absolutely worthy of praise because it is packing so many dense ideas in and finding space for them all. Like it doesn't feel crowded. It, 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 it it demands more of a reader because it makes you want to pay attention and be worthy of it. I think for me, Howard Porter is MVP of this issue. Uh, the way it's it's all well and good to write superhero graveyard slightly creepy, or whatever Morrison <laughs> put in the script, but just the way Porter draws that brings so much to those scenes. It's it's stunning work. It really is. Did you? Did you see and do you remember there was like a little funny funny comic doing the rounds on the internet a few years ago and it was about a writer, a comic writer and a comic artist on a panel and, and um, the writer was going like, oh yeah, comics are just the easiest medium on the planet because I just write in, a, I just write on, in the script that like 10,000 spaceships explode out of hyperdrive and instantly engage like the, the mecha demon from beyond and then it just appears on the page. And then the next panel is the artist like throttling him and just going like, "I'll kill you." I think when when I was writing uh, the script for Trolltooth Wars, I'm pretty sure I ended a number of panels with two words. Sorry, Gav. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> my 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 scripts are littered with apologies yeah. to 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 the artist. Like, I'm so sorry. You've got to show the artist that you care and that you understand, but also you're working for me, bitch. Yeah, get back to work. <laughs> Crack the whip. I mean, like, there must have been times when Porter must have looked at the script and, and just kind of, you know, taken a few minutes to scare scare out the window for a while, you know. Or had, maybe had, of like, comes to a page and is like, right, I'm going for a walk. <laughs> I maybe sometimes. <laughs> I need to step away from this. <laughs> Not everyone could have kept up with the kind of raw imagination, I have to say. And... Yeah, massive kudos to him because yeah, it's just a well, it, an, 
a classic. It's impressive to me that Porter does draw all six issues in this storyline. Yes, the last issue does have other artists on it, but that's only because uh, the last issue in this in this storyline is more pages. They gave them extra pages to finish the issue off. I think we counted last time and it came to like 38 pages in total. So Porter needed some help to get that finished to hit the schedule. But the fact that the other five issues are entirely him, you know, I feel like other artists maybe would have struggled to draw that. You do see big stories like this sometimes have the artist change halfway through. Maybe that's why Oscar Jimenez came in to do the two issues beforehand, just because they knew what Porter would be doing afterwards as well. But... Oh God! Like he needed to go to the gym, yeah. And like kind of like you know, get 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 those risks kind of like suitably limber. Yeah, but it's it's an impressive body of work. Well, it's amazing how much of Morrison's personal mythology is kind of packed into this issue. Things that you know will have had an influence on the DC universe for years to come. I mean. It's a, it's a very small thing, but um, I mean, years later when he did um, Multiversity uh, for DC and published the map of the DC multiverse, um, I was very gratified to see a reference to Wonderworld on it. Okay, that's cool. But it's very, it's, it's blinking, you miss it, but. Wonderworld is on the map of the multiverse, kind of tracing the orbit of the note of known reality, basically. Huh. That feels unusual to me. It lives on, basically. <laughs> and I mean, you know, um again, I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but a few a few things which are dropped in this particular issue. Um we should maybe just keep in the back of our minds, you know, kind of pay attention to. Yeah, you probably missed them in the podcast. I definitely didn't make any reference to things that you needed to remember. No, no. It was um it was Miramaska's orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 gonna be absolutely crucial in a few issues, so you know, do pay attention. Oh, uh but PJ, have we have we finally uh exhausted uh this issue of Rock of Ages? Well, we've exhausted PJ. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm emotionally and physically uh, shattered. Uh, is there any, is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, just just that. Well, I'm really excited because I know what's coming in the next few issues as well. And oh my god, there's some truly fantastic things coming along. Yeah, and I think the only thing I'd add is is to say that for a series which has just been kind of knocking it out of the park with every issue in terms of like spectacle um and and heart there's been a lot of heart but it's always been going bigger and bigger and i feel this is the moment where if you hadn't already realized this is when it the penny kind of finally drops something quite special is going on here yeah like it goes it went cosmic pj like in in the best sense I think it went about as cosmic as you possibly could. This really is the barometer by which all future instances of cosmic uh, will be will be measured, and rightly uh, so. And rightly so. Um, well, PJ, if there is nothing left to be said, uh, I get, I'm waiting for you to interrupt me. If there is, uh, I should give a massive 
thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. And um, I should say that if you are enjoying the series and feel so inclined, uh, a review or a comment on iTunes or whatever the kids are calling it these days would be very much appreciated. Especially if you could give us one of those lovely five-star O ratings. It, yeah, only only the good ones. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, and if you've enjoyed uh, listening to PJ and I uh, ramble, uh, you can find us on the social medias, and our the the our details are in the description. PJ, yes, uh, you know what time it is. It is yes. Could you please do the honours and uh, sign us off in your own unique fashion? Today's lesson, children. If someone does something you don't like, chuck a big rock at them. <laughs> <laughs>